Many of you know of Hebrews chapter 11 as the great chapter on faith. And uh, chapter 11 starts off with stirring words. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In chapter 11, God gives us a bird's eye view of men and women of faith who have gone before as a testimony to us to, of his power and as encouragement to us. But why is chapter 11 necessary? What was going on in chapter 10 um, that, uh, that, m- that makes chapter 11 necessary? If you know anything about Hebrews chapter 10, you'll remember that the author labors to explain the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Jews were accustomed to visiting the temple on a regular basis and offering sacrifices for their sins. These continual sacrifices reminded them of two truths. First, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And second, that the wages of sin is death. These things are still true today. Your heart is deceitful and wicked, and the wages of your sin is death. And the same goes for me. Now, the very fact that the Jews had to make animal sacrifices on a continual basis taught them that the sacrifices themselves did not purify them from their sins. So even as they obeyed God by fulfilling the obligation to perform animal sacrifices, they hoped for the day that God would make a better provision for them. The provision was and is Jesus Christ, both for the Jew and for the Gentile. Jesus died as a sacrifice once for all, so now the Jews no longer need to go up to the temple and sacrifice. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So on the one hand, Hebrews chapter 10 proclaims the glorious news of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and how we can know God and be known by God because of the work of Jesus. On the other hand, again, if you know anything about Hebrews chapter 10, you'll know that it contains some of the most dire warnings in Scripture. Verse 26 says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. So you have the promise and the warning. And you have us in the middle. How do we make sense of of both promises and warnings? How do we live our lives holding on to the promises, trusting in the goodness of God, and yet not casting away the the warnings, knowing that they too are for our good and for our, our aid as we live in this life. Well, there are two responses that you can have to Hebrews chapter 10, and... And he explains them at the end of of chapter 10, and then he goes on to flesh out one of the responses in the entire rest of chapter 11. That's why chapter 11 comes. Namely, there are those who hold on tightly to their confident hope and faith in Jesus Christ, and then there are those who shrink back. Now, we'll talk about what shrinking back means, but you have, on the one hand, the confident hope, 
and on the other hand, shrinking back. Those are the two choices you have this morning, and, and that's what we're going to spend our time talking about. So if you please uh, follow along with me as I read, I'll, I'll read now Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict, conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better profession, a better possession, and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Having given his readers these, these terrifying warnings, the, the writer now turns to encouraging and strengthening his, his readers. He's very much like uh, what Paul talks about in Colossians. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. That's exactly the way that the author of Hebrews is with us. He's warning us, but he's not too hard on us because he knows that we need to be encouraged and, and that we will we'll lose heart if, if, if he doesn't. And so, not wanting to exasperate his readers, he, he turns to encouragement. Now, um, he reminds them, to do so, he reminds them that in previous days, they underwent, uh, they endured great suffering and trials, and they did so joyfully. He goes through the kinds of suffering that they went through. They were made a public spectacle, which means that they were mocked and ridiculed publicly. So today that may be, you know, someone's making comments on a blog or writing about you in the newspaper, um, talking about you among colleagues or um, fellow students. And not only were they made a public spectacle, but they, they were sharers with those who were so treated. They identified with those who were treated uh, in the same way. They showed sympathy to, to prisoners and, again, identified with those who were, who were being oppressed. And they accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. And he explains why. He says, knowing that you, that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So they, they accepted joyfully the seizure of their property because it simply didn't matter as much to them as the, as the thing that they were hoping for. They were hoping for heaven, and they were hoping uh, to please God rather than to please themselves. So he continues, Therefore, having reminded them of, of their previous faith, he says, Look, I know I've seen faith in you. I know it's there. You know that it's there. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Now, what is this confidence that he's talking about? The confidence that he's talking about isn't the same thing as faith. It's a fruit of faith, and that's a very important point. 
Um, it is boldness. It's boldness of mind that is free from, from a bondage of fear and doubt. Um, and it comes from a sure conviction that God has, has accepted us, that God loves us, that God knows us, that Christ really did die on the, sin, or on the cross for our sins. Um, yesterday at David's Mighty Men, uh, there, and I'll be bringing this up uh, numerous times in the sermon, but uh, there was uh, the topic was learning to contend uh, and fight for others uh, to protect the weak and the defenseless. And um, the example of a soldier who is joyfully willing at a moment's notice to, to go out and obey his commanding officer. That's the kind of confidence, boldness that we're talking about here. Uh, a soldier is joyfully prepared to obey his master's commands. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. This is a theme that's constant in Scripture. You will not be able to endure sufferings cheerfully to the glory of God unless you are hoping for something better. Such a man, there is such a thing as a stoic, uh, but such a man will not endure suffering cheerfully. Um, but instead, he, he's, a, a stoic can grind through suffering, but he's not going to bring glory to God in, in so doing. So, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Now, um, he then goes on in verse 36 to further elaborate that, and he says, For you have need of endurance. Now, What, why do we have need of endurance? What is the reason uh, for him going on and saying that? Well, um, there are a few implications of, of his stating this. First of all, the road of he- ahead is difficult. And it's very easy for us. I, I remember um, that I, I was talking about this passage uh, with a group of people at one point, and I was discussing how difficult it is to live by faith. And I remember um, the response of a man who said, um, no, it's not difficult. I just believe. And I was, I was really put back on my heels when that happened. I, I couldn't figure out for the life of me if we were talking about the same thing. And um, I'm convinced that we weren't, that we were not talking about the same thing, because faith is not simply some sort of mental assent to a, a body of doctrine that occurs in Scripture, but rather it is an active, uh, it is an assent to the things in Scripture that propels us to active obedience and to actively following after Christ. And um, and this this uh, principle uh, you'll you'll notice is uh, is seen through Scripture. So, for instance, in in the Old Testament, 
if you look at the different kings in the Old Testament, there are some who disobeyed God and rejected him and were evil, right? Those, those people obviously didn't have faith. Those men didn't have faith. And then there are some kings who obeyed God, but they, they didn't tear down altars. They didn't actually actively go and contend against wickedness. And they did have a measure of faith. But that's not the faith that we're talking about here. On the third category, there were kings that, that actively contended against wickedness. And it's this last category that, um, that is also spoken about in the New Testament when it says that we're not simply to not participate in the deeds of darkness, but rather to expose them. There's an active work that goes on there that will absolutely include pain and suffering, hardship. All right? So if you have this thought in your mind that you can be a Christian, particularly in this evil day, and live by faith and somehow never contend for the faith and struggle, if these words here are not a a solace to you, then, then you're not obeying these commands because, uh, because Christ is calling us not simply to assent, but to obey, to follow, to contend. So, um, so if we follow Christ in this way, if we actually contend for the faith, we will suffer persecutions. And not only persecutions from without, but the immediately when you begin to follow Christ, you will suffer from temptations that come within you. There's nothing that will stir up temptations and your own sin than an effort to obey God, to sincerely and devoutly attempt to to obey the commands of Scripture. And so um, the author, the author of this, of this, this, uh, the Holy Spirit understands this temptations. He understands these these trials that will happen. He anticipates this. And so in verses 37 and 38, he cites Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4. Now, um, I'll read from Habakkuk. It says, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. He turns to continuing to encourage us, knowing that we will suffer from persecution and temptation. He reminds us that God does not tarry. God is not slow about his promises. He may not work on your timetable. (laughs) But he will fulfill his promises. And he also tells us that the he gives us a picture of what the just man is like as opposed to the proud man. And that is the just man is humble, he is meek, he's sincere and subdued, uh, waiting for the will of God, waiting waiting on God rather than um, coming up with his own plans. And he opposes this to pride and unbelief. So you have the man who is uh, who 
is the righteous man who lives by faith, and you have the man who is proud and draws back. Now, here is where we get to this uh, this phrase, to shrink back. What does it mean to shrink back? What does that look like? Shrinking back, it, uh, it has to do with, obviously, drawing back, withdrawing, hiding. It's like you're going undercover. Um, I read that it, uh, it's uh, perhaps a metaphor for lowering a sail or slackening the course. Uh, so if you're in a sailing vessel... Uh, rather than heading straight for your goal, you're going to ease up a little bit. It's the idea of, uh, of being remiss and holding to the truth tightly and professing it. What does this look like in, in real life? Well, um, I, I've brought this example up to people before because it, it just struck me as such a perfect example. If, if you've ever seen the movie Master and Commander, um, there's, a, there's a scene at the very beginning with a, a man who is um, given charge of the boat. He's a young man. He's not the captain of the vessel, but, he's, but the captain's sleeping or something, and so he, it's this man's duty to, to, uh, to watch it and just make the decisions, basically. The final word is with him until the captain wakes up. And, um, and there's a decision that has to be made, and you see this... This soldier is completely frozen and indecisive. He, he cannot make a decision, and he's unable to even speak, even though he knows that, the, that he has to make a decision right now because the danger is very great. Well, and, and so what, it, what ends up happening is that someone next to him uh, um, finally makes the decision, makes the call, and, uh, and things turn out okay. Well, that's what's going on with that individual. What's going on with that man? Rather than than stepping out and and uh, and taking a bold step, he's shrinking back. He's not able to to uh, to contend to to fight. Uh, you know, he's not able to make the decision that's necessary. He's indecisive and full of fear. Another, another example of shrinking back that I can think of uh, is uh, from my days of being in high school and junior high and playing soccer. Now, and, and this is something that, um, that I watch for now with other young men who I watch playing sports. If you watch young men playing sports, uh, you'll notice at times, obviously when, when people play sports, whether it's soccer or football or whatever, Things will happen where people will fall down, things will, the ball will be fumbled, um, the pass will, will be messed up. And those can happen, those kinds of things can happen without, uh, just because of lack of skill. But there's also, it also can happen because the, the young man is afraid. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when, when sports are being played? Like, um, like a guy's got a breakaway, everything's okay, but he trips. Now sometimes he can he can genuinely trip, and it's it just happens. But a lot of times it's because he's afraid. Um, he doesn't. It's not necessarily even self-conscious, 
But it's this, it's, it's like this contraction inside of his, inside of him. I, I, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me because I've been in that, I've been in that circumstance where I, I know in my mind that I could have worked harder at that, but for some reason, I didn't. And so what was going on there? Um, well, there's fear, obviously. Uh, fear will cause us to shrink back. Um, there's love of comfort and ease. You know, it's a lot easier to just fall over than it is to contend against this ruffian who promises to elbow me in the face or whatever the case is. Um, we'd rather avoid the fight than, um, than, than suffer the consequences or suffer the pain of, uh, endure the pain of the fight itself. So, what's, again, what's interesting about that is that we can make all the appearances of playing the game, of fighting the fight, but not actually doing it. Well, what does this have to do with this passage and with faith? Well, it has everything to do with it. Um, because the Christian life is a life of struggle. It, it is a race. Um, Paul says that he trains his body, he beats his body into submission, so that he will win the prize. Um, and so the man who walks by faith obeys God. He gives himself to the struggle. He gives himself to the struggle of fighting against his own sin and his own temptations. And he gives himself to the struggle of, of enduring the hardship that will come because of his outward, bold profession of faith. On the campus, at work, at home, he gives himself to these things. The, um, he, he doesn't do so because he wants to gain stature in the eyes of men or get a promotion or because he wants his life to be easier. He does so because he's looking towards heaven and he's looking for the prize. Now, uh, yesterday, again, Brian Bailey gave his testimony of the things that, some of the things that he has done to contend for the, uh, the weak and the defenseless. And one of the questions he said that was always going through his mind was, you know, if, if, I, if this is such a difficult thing for me, uh, and I'm simply doing a small thing, I mean, you know, he's, he's vocally speaking up for the unborn, you know, he didn't lose his job. He didn't even really suffer all that much ridicule necessarily. You know, if this is such a small thing and I'm having such a difficult time, how can I possibly be a Christian? Well, this, this is precisely the kind of tension that a Christian today is in. We live in a wicked day. Um, this is something that you know, you hear about from this pulpit. Um, the, there are many, many things about our day that are particularly evil. And, and so when we, and it's so easy to back up and to not contend that when we do, we think, is this really necessary? Is this, you know, what's going on here? So, again, there are, there are two kinds of people. You've got those that will shrink back and then those who will hold on to their confidence. Now, um, uh, 
part of the contention again that I, I mentioned is that uh, is is our own sin. And if you have a tender conscience today, and you're thinking, okay, so talking about shrinking back and talking about boldly holding on, I I think sometimes that I I hold on to boldly to my confidence, and sometimes I don't. You know how. I don't know, you know, how is it that, um, that, that I'm going to say that I, I, I boldly hold on to it? Well, the point here is not that those who hold on to their confidence boldly never sin, um, but rather you have to think about when you when you consider when you when you're thinking about the contrast between those who shrink back and those who boldly hold on to their confidence in Jesus Christ. Think of the paralytics on the side of of the road crying out for Jesus Christ. They had no ability to help themselves. They were weak. They were defenseless. But they were broken before God and they cried out to God for help. And this is faith at work. Okay? Um, It is true that sin is faithlessness. And the one... Um, who goes on sinning willfully can't expect a judgment, but the one who shrinks back is the one who refuses to cry out to God. So, now, why, why would we refuse to cry out to God? Um, again, it comes back to pride. We would rather mumble under our breath and say things like, uh, well, maybe I need to go learn about some self-help, um, Maybe I need to embrace this condition that I have. Um, you know, uh, it's easier for us, rather than humbling ourselves and crying out to God and earnestly engaging in this battle, um, to stand in judgment over others who are doing so. Uh, and so we hold back. Um, if we sit on the side, we can be superior to everyone else and stand in judgment. Uh, we avoid having to experience legitimate failure that will teach us that our hope is in God and not in ourselves. Okay, so what are the ways that we shrink back today? Well, um, there's lots of ways that we do it. And, uh, and a lot of them we don't even think about in terms of our faith, in terms of shrinking back. One of the ways is entertainment. We, uh, we entertain ourselves often because we'd rather not contend. We'd rather not endure the hardship of being a Christian. So our movies, our video games, our books, um, they end up being distractions to take us away from the, the task of of following hard after Christ. Um, we do it, obviously, with our sin. 
we'd rather hold on to our sin than endure the, the difficult job of fighting it. Um, I was thinking about this in terms of uh, being on campus also. How do we shrink back on campus? Um, and, and the way that we do it on campus is with words. Um, postmodernism is... Whenever I think about postmodernism, I, I don't think of it as like a worldview or a philosophy. Um, it's more, at, at, at best... I would think of postmodernism as a as an anti worldview, um, because it, as as a way of thinking, it is shrinking back. Today on the campus, uh, anytime you make a distinction, any kind of distinction that you make, whether uh, you stand up and say there is a difference between men and women, and you actually say state the differences, um, or uh, whether you say that there is a difference between those who will be saved and those who will, will not be saved, um, any type of distinction on campus is hated. And, and the reason for that is that our culture, as a, in general, is, has shrunk back, has, has refused to speak boldly God's truth to, to the world. So if you're on campus... Um, again, think about shrinking back. Think about the words that you use. We shrink back by not declaring clearly the words of Scripture. So, finally, remember, if there's one thing I want you to remember from this passage today... I want you to remember the paralytics on the side of the road as, as an example of the kind of faith that he's talking about here. The paralytics did not shrink back. They were weak. They were helpless. They struggled with their sin. You will struggle with your sin. You will struggle with temptation and persecution. But cry out to God. Because how does this passage end? It says... We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Who is it that preserves our soul? It is God who preserves our soul. It says in Romans, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So, and and finally, once again, um, uh, Wayne mentioned this in, in the... In the, confe- in the prayer of confession, um, wallowing in your sin is, is shrinking back. It is hold, it, it's holding things in rather than crying out to God. Um, Tim uses the phrase, uh, fail gloriously, that he failed gloriously. This is our hope as Christians, that we can fail gloriously by crying out to God. Um, and putting our faith in Him to work in us. Let's pray.